So this is actually all background, to be honest, um, Albert, to why the the issue came up of how do you explain this and where the real dilemma is. So in a way, everything I've said so far is kind of background on what um, I really wanted to get to. Okay, just let me pull a little bit more out of this, though. So basically what you're saying is the the absence of contracts here is the issue, and if you, if you added that additional feature, uh, would this whole problem go away? Uh, I think problem if you of added contracts, it would be different, but even there... Um, so, so let's let's take an example of um, of a system that would be analogous to what Bitcoin could could look like if you added a contract, a contract, which I don't think it should. Um, uh, so let's take a, a, a domain name system or a private network. Let's take let's take the AOL network early in its infancy, right? Or you can take a free one like a, a blogger that was giving out free domains, right? Uh, if I register. A uh, a website. Let's say I register a free blog with Blogspot. This might be a better example. I call it uh, Kinsella's Rants. Kinsella's Rants Blogspot com because they allow me to register that. Now you could look at that domain Kinsella's Rants Blogspot com. You could say that's a scarce resource and I own it. Okay. I might even have a contract with Blogger or Blogspot about that. But does that really mean I own a domain? You can say that in sort of casual language. You can say it in practical language. I have the practical control over that domain. But as a reality, the domain is just an identifier that points people to a certain website, right, which is on the internet or on this private network, even if it's a private network like in the early days of AOL. Um, That's a contract. But then the question is always who owns what, right? So if I have data, private data in a certain section of the AOL servers – Okay, that basically means AOL has rented to me by contract the the temporary or whatever limited use of some of their physical property, their servers. Okay, so they own their servers. That's a physical thing that they own. It's impatterned in a certain way with data that I've uploaded to it with their permission. That's a contract. Okay, so the contract would govern who owns ownable things. The the ownable things are still scarce resources. The entire world is made of hardware in a sense, right? The entire net internet is made of hardware. There are wires. Someone owns the wires, right? There are fiber optic cables. Someone owns those cables. Um, you know, There are uh, satellites and there's servers and then there's transmission nodes and there's switches. All these things are owned by someone, and then they all connect together by various interoperability agreements right? where they agree to cooperate with each other and link up together. Just like two roads might link up together. So it always comes down to a question of who owns what and of what ownable things. So in the Bitcoin case – or let, let's, so let's, get, let's take a credit card case. Um, uh, now, these examples having to do with modern money are complicated because the government has screwed up money so much, and uh, money today is not what money used to be. Money used to be – basically some commodity like gold, which was ownable. And then the question was who owns the piece of gold, right? Whether it's held by a bank or held by a lender or whatever. But now money doesn't you know, in a sense, fiat money, dollars issued by the government are no more real than Bitcoins are. They're just I was gonna say that, yeah. Yeah. They're mm-hmm. very they're very similar to Bitcoin, except in Bitcoin there's no fraud involved and there's no coercion involved. In the current fiat money system, um, it's used voluntarily in a sense, but only because the 
country has no choice because of legal tender laws and other forms of coercion that the state imposes upon us. So the state has basically taken an existing quasi-natural money system and gradually using the you know like the Mises regression idea, they've built upon that and they've gradually cut the tide of gold. So now we're to the point where we have fiat money units, and people sometimes say, well, you can own a piece of paper, and a dollar is a piece of paper. Well, I imagine you and I know that a dollar is not a piece of paper. There are billions of dollars out there that are not on pieces of paper. They're just units in some government-maintained ledger system, in effect. Right. Now, in this case, you're saying that the contract with the banks is what makes these units ownable? or the I w- Honestly – if you want to be technically precise, I would be skeptical of saying dollars are ownable right now. However, if I if I have control of a certain number of dollars of this government um, shaky government system, I don't want someone else to be able to, to to transfer them away. Just like I don't want someone to take my 100 bitcoins away from me, right? I want to have practical control of that so I can spend it or use it or keep it. Um, and so when I but I do have a contract with Chase Bank, let's say at least I could. I think is at least an implicit contract. At least there's a property there. They own their facilities. They own their computer systems. And when I log into my Chase account, I enter a password, and I can manipulate funds around that system. Whether those particular funds are technically ownable under a libertarian scheme is sort of a, 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 a far-field question because you wouldn't have such a money system in a free society anyway. So that is sort of an anomaly. However – I do think that there's implicitly a contract between me and Chase, and there's a contract between Chase and any um, any scammer who walks in their front door and pretends to be me. So this is why – so people say if you're against intellectual property, you can't be against identity theft. And I'm like, of course you can. Well, you can't really steal someone's identity, but when people say identity theft, what they mean is that you're using deception to gain access to my resources. You know, Just like if I have a – if I'm out of town for a month. And I have some housekeeper or some staff at my home, and someone walks up and they pretend like they're me, and they deceive the housekeeper or the guard or whatever into letting me into the home. Just because they get away with it doesn't mean it's not an act of trespass. They are actually in my home, using my home without my consent. Even if my door is wide open, if they walk into my house without my permission, they're using my home without my consent. That's a type of trespass, a type of aggression. Okay. Same thing in the bank situation. If someone goes into Chase Bank and they pretend to be me, they're deceiving the bank. They're using the bank's resources without their permission, and the bank is in violation of their contract with me because they surely made a contract with me. We promise to you we will have adequate security measures in place that we will not let uh, some some scammer come and take the money that's in your account. And if, if we do, then we're on the hook for it. So there is a contractual network that you can envision there and that is there okay i want to ask you one more question sorry go ahead Uh, before we move on this is a good background but we have a lot to get into but i just want to say uh, the fact that mises left this out of human action this insight is interesting because if he had included it wouldn't he have to address the question of does money have to be ownable in a legal sense or did he address that in the earlier work well what he left out of human action was this um, this very interesting discussion in socialism of how property rights arise in the first place and he, how he distinguishes between basically physical control, what I would call possession. He calls it something like uh, de facto ownership um, and de jure ownership or legal ownership, which I would call just ownership because ownership to me implies a right, which is a legal 
thing. So it's just a terminology thing. I'm not sure why he left it out of human action. It seems like he would have incorporated that in there. I don't see any reason to believe he rejected that. Um, as for the money theorem, I just don't think he ever conceived of anything uh, digital right, or anything that wouldn't be a commodity that wouldn't have arose as money. My personal view from reading um, Mises – and I am not an Austrian economist. I'm just a uh, – uh, appreciating outside admiring student um, I think his regression theorem does not prove that money has to arise from a commodity and I don't think it meant to prove that I think he was trying to overcome the uh, the criticism that there's a circularity right there's a, uh, a circularity in the idea uh, that money that money like gold or something can have money uh, sorry value. And he he did he invented his regression theorem as a way to show that it doesn't have to be a circularity. It's not a bootstrapping problem because you can trace the value of money evolutionarily back day from day until the time that it was solely a commodity with only a commodity value, which is almost certainly how money actually uh, in, in broad form arose in the real world. So he was only imagining well, here's how money really did arise. And if it did arise this way, logically, there's no um, there's no infinite regress, basically. Right. If we okay. just uh, yeah, if we just substitute the word commodity with direct use good, doesn't the problem doesn't it solve the problem? It might, but then we have to talk about the word, what the word good means, and then then you get into a whole another Austrian issue and potential libertarian issue because the word good is another vague term uh, for legal purposes because you'll have intellectual property advocates say something like, well. If I can sell my labor on the market, that's a good because it has a value, right? And therefore, someone can own it. You couldn't sell it if you didn't own it. So you'll get these kind of fallacious um, arguments if you're not careful with even those terms like the term good. So economically, I have no problem calling it a good, uh, but right. it's when you start – Assuming that just because something is valued – look, I think if you keep the Austrian, the Misesian concept of subjective value in mind, it helps avoid a lot of these mistakes. Right. When we so say any, something is – Go ahead. Sorry. I was just going to say, say value-satisfying is, is what I mean by good, right? Something that satisfies yes. a want. But all, but all that means is that – well, if you think about the general structure of human action, all human action is aimed at um, an end. That is – Something the actor wants to achieve in the future, necessarily in the future. So basically they forecast or they envision a future world that's going to happen without their intervention, and they don't like it. They don't like it compared to what they think could happen. So they, they come up with ways they can affect the course of action. That's called means. They employ means which causally interfere with the course of things. Right? They're trying to achieve a different outcome. That outcome is their goal or their end. Now, that outcome could be any number of things. The outcome could be um, the ownership of an object. Like if I want a new television, my, the, I will go to the market and purchase a television. Right? That's the end of my action. The end of my action is the ownership of an object. Or the object could be to have a new pair of shoes, and maybe the, the means to attain that is to employ my labor with my leather Right and some other resources I have at hand, and make a pair of shoes by hand. That's the outcome, that end of my action. But the end of my action may be something that's not ownable, right? Which is what people lose sight of. They're all valued. The outcome, of my the end of my action may be to, um, you know, uh, have a, a, a county fair, 
arranged where everyone's happy for 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 a month. It may be uh, to get a girl to give me a kiss, or it may be to make friends with someone, or it may be to read a novel. There's any number of things I want to do, um, and when I achieve them, that's called profit, right? I have a profitable or successful action, and I've made a psychic profit, and I value – I demonstrated that I valued it because I pursued it. But it doesn't mean that I've necessarily achieved something that I own, right? If a girl gives me a smile, if I tell a story and people smile and clap, you know, uh, it doesn't mean I've, I've acquired ownership of some new thing that's ownable. So we have to realize that just because we value things in our actions doesn't mean that things that so-called have value – or economic goods that can be traded and sold in the sense that there's an ownership title to those things. We have to make a distinction, and I think that's what people lose sight of, especially in intellectual property. Um, so the common argument is that, well, obviously people value ideas because they will sometimes pay you to give you an idea. In other words, I will offer to pay you money for you to give information to me that I desire to have from you. So that proves that I value you giving me information. That is true. I totally agree with that. It doesn't prove that just because you, quote, sold it to me means that you owned it. See, they can't get around this metaphor that's used with the idea of a sale. They think that if you sell something, quotes around the word thing, you had to own the thing. They are too locked into the framework of a traditional sale of a movable – sorry, or of an ownable object, a scarce resource, an ownable object. It is true that sometimes we have exchange like that. You give me a dollar or you give me a gold coin, I give you my sheep. In that case, there's an exchange of things. So the end of the actions of both parties in those cases is to come to own something they didn't own before. But as I said, the end of all action is not ownership of a thing, right? And if I pay you to sing a song for my daughter's birthday party, I am transferring money to you and you do desire to – as the end of your action, right? Your goal is to acquire ownership of this coin. Okay, the, My goal is to achieve my daughter's happiness by having someone sing at her party, and once that action, once that event passes, I'm satisfied. It's happened, but I don't own anything. I didn't acquire ownership of anything, so that's an example of a contract where – and now we can describe in metaphorical terms. We can say you sold your singing services. That's fine. You can use that terminology, but it does not mean that you own your singing services. It doesn't mean you own your singing ability. This is where the, the problem arises with the overuse of metaphors and the imprecise use of language. Okay, so in that case, you own your body. And um, if, yes. if, for instance, you were to purchase, if you were to contract with me to, for me to give you uh, a password, which would be maybe, I don't know, a 16-bit pseudo-random code, you would just be paying me to manipulate my body in a way that uh, satisfied that that value, right? So you'd be paying me to write something down or paying me to recite a sequence, but you wouldn't be buying the sequence. I think you can call it buying the sequence, but it's not it's not like legally precise. Okay, it's fine to describe it that way because economically that's the goals of the actors, and we can we can use metaphors and analogies to describe uh, the interaction between these people. If you look at Rothbard's title transfer theory of contract, which I agree with, which views contracts as simply the exercise of control of a resource that's owned by the owner instead of as binding promises, then this this all follows naturally. In the case you described, what's going on is that. Someone wants information that they can use 
for some practical purpose. Like if you actually – if there's a scheme in effect, the Bitcoin scheme in effect, um, the way it's set up is someone's got to have a certain key or password to make a certain change in the blockchain happen. Okay, But someone else has that information, and it's confidential. It's only in their head or stored somewhere in their private property that they have access to, right? And you need to induce them to give you this information. You want to encourage them to perform an action, to perform an action with the resources that they own, namely their body. And any other resources they have, they need to manipulate to get you this, this data. So you want the data. You want to, quote, buy the data. But what that really means is you're willing to make a contract where you say, listen, I hereby give you $100, okay? Now, let's assume dollars is an ownable thing. Let's say $100 means, you know, uh, 200 ounces of silver or whatever, right? 2,000 ounces of silver. Um, uh, I hereby give to you this title to this owned resource if you perform the following action, which is giving me information that I want, right? And if that happens, that's a mutually useful exchange, but technically speaking, it's not really an exchange of titles. It's an exchange economically because both sides benefit from it. And they both – but I'm just using this conditional title transfer of my money to induce the other person to use his property in a way that I find pleasing to me, which means okay. he opens his mouth and he gives me useful information that I can then go use as part of some other network to do something else that I want to do, right? Okay. I so mean that have, sounds – Yeah, go ahead. That, that sounds a lot like, for instance, someone giving you a violin lesson, right? Giving you the information that you can use. It okay, so like let's – yeah, so let's get to the to the meat of it then. And w what is the new insight or what is the new angle that you're bringing now that so, might help? So trying to explain, which I've sort of done here, why I think it's, it's, it's a misnomer to say that Bitcoin is ownable, right? And again, the reason is because Bitcoin is just information stored in different people's computers. And if you own the information, that really means you own their computers. But you don't even have a contract with anyone. So you don't have any contractual right to their computers, et cetera. So discussing this, trying to explain it to people, um, you know, I had people starting – trying to make analogies to the intellectual property argument to try to navigate and figure out this Bitcoin thing. And um, some of them – a common argument – and I've made the argument this way before myself. An argument for, for why copyright, for example, is not legitimate is that – it tries to grant property rights in information, but information, unlike scarce resources, has this property that is infinitely replicable or infinitely copyable. And I agree with that. But I think that sort of misses an intermediate step, and that is the following. If you think more closely about this, um, property rights are the rights to control, right? the legally recognized, socially recognized right to control or to use a given scarce resource that is a thing that's of the type that people could have a conflict over it. If there was no possibility of conflict over these things, you wouldn't need property rules in the first place. We'd all be living in a Garden of Eden. This is the whole reason for property rights. And is this universally would, accepted? I don't think it's – I think it does – to a degree, I think it is universally accepted. I mean the the very institution of property rights is widespread around the world. It's not consistently put in place. and. I would say pretty much all libertarians recognize that there ought to be property rights in these kinds of scarce resources. And you know, the funny thing is, like, you know, if you imagine a dog, which is a, a stupid animal, uh, 
even dogs recognize kind of a temporary limited property right in their dog bowl. You know, if they're eating out of their dog bowl and another dog approaches, they're going to growl. And because there's a possibility of conflict, because there's only so much food in the bowl, they can't both eat the food, right? This is a common sense, almost undeniable feature of what property rights are. For some but people, that'll stop. be the most objectionable thing you've said so far. Picking on dogs. Could be. <laughs> okay, continue, yes, please. Yes, I love my dogs. I'm looking at two smart poodles right now, but they're unintelligent in the sense of uh, conceptual, <laughs> rational beings. <laughs> okay. I'm just saying even dogs can recognize, although I, I agree. I would take my poodles over some socialists um, any day. 